Welcome to Season 1 of the Overcomers Podcast. We are going to talk to you about overcoming adversity and living your dreams. If you've ever struggled, this is for you. We're going to talk to you about such struggles as... Drug addiction, relationship struggles, parenting struggles... Incarceration, being displaced from your home. We're even going to touch on things such as sexual assault, or even if you just struggle with finding your purpose, finding your passion, being part of a community, this is for you. Like I said, if you've ever struggled, this is for you. So welcome to the Overcomers Podcast, where we're going to help you to overcome the adversities of life and live your dreams. Welcome everybody to the Overcomers Podcast, sponsored by Journey 333, where we talk to you about overcoming adversity and living your dreams. Today, I am so excited because we have Damon West, author of The Change Agent, author of The Coffee Bean, perhaps even more important or more astonishing is the fact that he has gone from prison to professor. So he is now a law professor who teaches on prisons in America, right? So cool. So cool. Damon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, y'all, for having me, man. It's so good to see y'all again after our time we spent together in San Diego, which now seems like it was in another life, right? I mean, it seems like that was another world just two months ago, right? For real, I feel like we've flipped years and just weeks with all that's going on in the world. It's just crazy. It's crazy. It is. It is. Well, Damon, I want to get right to it. Today, um, you've overcome a lot of adversity in your life. You've had to overcome addiction, and that addiction led you to be sentenced to life in prison. Life in prison. Wow. I mean, <laughs> just amazing where you're at today and where you were then. And so I think that there's no better place to begin than to just talk about your story about, you know, all that you've had to overcome, uh, you know, just kind of touching on what the book, The Change Agent, actually talks about. So I think the best place to start then, it will start where The Change Agent actually starts. And it doesn't go in, in linear order from the beginning of my life. The Change Agent starts on May 18, 2009. The, the chapter, the preface of the book is called Rock Bottom. And is a as an addict, you know, in recovery, we talk about rock bottom as being a place when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? And that's when you finally make the change. You decide to do something with your life. You find a program of recovery. My rock bottom moment was May 18, 2009. I'm standing in front of a jury in Dallas County, and they had just listened to six days of overwhelming evidence of my guilt, of the crime of engaging in organized criminal activity to commit burglary of habitation. It was a bunch of meth-related burglaries where I was the ringleader for three years and, and just went all over the Dallas area. So I'm standing there in front of this jury. They had just deliberated for 10 minutes on my punishment, y'all. 10 minutes. I, I don't know how much law and order you watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, they smoked you. And when I came back in and that judge said, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years, which is a life sentence, it took my breath away. And immediately after the trial, they took me in this little side room and it's got a bulletproof glass right there, and they told me to wait. And a few minutes later, my parents walked in. And they're going to give my parents one last visit with me before I go to prison. You know, and I didn't come from a broken home, y'all. I came from a great family. My mom and dad in June will have been married 52 years. They're both still alive. So I came from a real solid family. My dad was the first sports writer in this part of Texas to put black athletes on the front page of a sports page in 1971. So, I mean, I came from parents that were socially conscious, racially conscious, you know, great people. And, uh, you know, I just went the wrong way with substance abuse throughout my life. My life 
took some took some turns in an early age. You know, I started getting substance abuse at 10, 12 years old, had bad belief systems, played sports really well. You know, I played Division One college quarterback, got hurt in college, got into more substance abuse, graduated college, and now I went to work in Congress. I went to work for a guy running for president in 2004. And when he dropped out of the race, I went to work on Wall Street for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And that's where I was introduced to meth for the first time, that job as a broker. And wow. so my dad walks in to this room right after the trial, and he's in stunned disbelief, you know, because he just saw his son with all this promise in life, you know, all these things you just heard me talk about. My dad raising a son like that, he's got all these dreams and aspirations for his, his child, which I've met none of them, and I've crushed him. You know, you can tell in his face. But my mom does all the talking. My mom's a nurse. She's used to traumatic situations. So she says, you know, she looks at me and she says, baby, she said, debts in life demand to be paid. And she said, you just got hit with one hell of a bill from the state of Texas, too. She said, but you did the things they said you did at that trial, Damon. So you have to go pay that debt to society. She said, but you owe your father and I a debt, too. She said, we raised you. We gave you all the opportunity, love, and support to be anything you want to be in life. And this is how you repay it. It's what we just saw. She said, it's not going to work. She said, we raised you in Port Arthur, Texas, a giant melting pot of the city. Gave you a great moral compass, which you chose to not use. She said, so here's the debt you're going to pay to us. When you go to prison, you will not get in one of these white hate groups, one of these Aryan Brotherhood type gangs, because you're scared because you're the minority in there. She said, it's not going to work. You were never raised to see race, and you won't start now. And she even told me, she said, you're not getting any tattoos while you're in there. And so, I mean, I mean, you can look at my arms and my body, man. I did almost 10 years. I did seven years and three months before I made parole in that life sentence. And man, I can tell you, without a doubt, almost every day someone hits you up to put a tattoo on you in there. And I would tell them all the time, man, I can't do it. And my mom said, no. Because my mom told me that day, she said, no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or do not come back at all. Tough love from my mom. So I go back to the pod in Dallas County Jail. I got two months, I found out, two months before the prison bus comes to get me. And y'all, I'm asking every guy I can that's been to the joint before, how am I going to survive prison? And every single one of them, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they're telling me the same thing, man. You've got to get into a game, man. You can't survive. You're 33 years old. You're going to the worst part of the prison system where everybody in the building you live on has life. It's a life sentence building, man. You can't survive without a game. Make your life easy, Wes. Get into a game. There's this one guy, this older African-American man named Mr. Jackson. Mr. Jackson, he's what you would call a seasoned convict, a career criminal, man. He'd been, been to prison four or five times, you know, but he, he was a real positive guy, always smiling. And Mr. Jackson came up to me one day and he said, West, I've been watching how you're dealing with these knuckleheads, these dummies, talking about you're going to get into a game. He said, man, do not listen to these fools. He said, but what you need to understand, he said, you need to understand that prison is like a pot of warm water. He said, anything we put in that pot of warm water will be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. He said, I will put three things in that pot of warm water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. So he walks me through it. He says, Wes, if I put a carrot to that pot of boiling water, we call prison. He said, what happens to the carrot? I said, well, the carrot turns soft. He said, that's right. He said, the carrot goes to prison hard, but the water, prison, changes that carrot. Turns him soft. He said, the carrot got beat. He got robbed. He got raped. I Man, he may have gotten killed. He said, you don't want to be the carrot. He said, what about the egg? I said, well, the egg turns hard, like a hard-boiled egg. He said, that's right. He said, the egg has a shell, which protects him physically. He said, Physically, the egg will be fine, but inside, he's not okay. That soft liquid core, his heart becomes hardened. He said, if your heart becomes hardened, 
You're incapable of giving or receiving love. He said, if you're incapable of giving or receiving love, you have become institutionalized. and You will not come back as someone your parents recognize because your eggshell has swastikas tattooed all over it. Mm. He's about the coffee bean. Man, I had really had no clue what happened to a coffee bean in a pot of boiling water, right? And so he said, if I put a coffee bean into that pot of boiling water we call prison, he said, now you have to change the name of the water to coffee. Because he said the coffee bean, the smallest of these three things, he said, small like you, West, had the power to change the entire atmosphere inside that pot. He said, everybody in life puts that energy, negative or positive. He said, whatever kind of energy you put out, you attract back. It's called the law of attraction, right? He says, so if you want to walk around prison with a mean mug on your face and scowl all the time, he said, what you'll actually do is attract that same kind of negative inmate. He said, in a life sentence building, that can be a very dangerous, even deadly endeavor. He said, but Wes, if you walk around that prison with a smile on your face and you let those guys know they're not getting you, no matter what they do, they're not getting to you. He said, man, you'll change that prison from the inside out. He said, the best part about it is the other coffee beans in prison, the other positive inmates, they'll find you because of your energy. And the last thing Mr. Jackson told me in, in, in August of 2009, when I got on that prison bus to be shipped off to the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, he said, Wes, go out there and go be a coffee bean. So it's, it's, it's like a secret I have with me in my pocket, the secret of the coffee bean, right? But it, what it gave me was hope. It gave me hope for a better tomorrow and hope that I could change, that I had some power to affect the world I was about to go into. Because I'm, you know, it's prison. I'm scared to death about what I'm about to walk into. But I've got this hope. And, and right now, y'all, what's going on in the world? There's never been a better time for this coffee bean message because the whole world is in a giant pot of boiling water, right? And this is something unprecedented in human history because not only is the circumstance unprecedented, but also the connectivity is unprecedented. We're all connected worldwide on social media. We can impact, we can talk to anybody on the globe right now, anytime we, we get on our social media platforms. So we have the power right now to affect other people with our positive energy, our coffee bean energy in other parts of the world. And that's what we have to do. We have to harness this stuff and send it out there as much as possible. And that's what we're doing today. We're trying to reach out to other people and let them know that you have a choice. You don't have to be like the carrot that turns soft from this or the egg that turns hard because you can be like the coffee bean and change your pot of boiling water too. Damon, this is awesome. This is so awesome because I was a coffee bean and I didn't even know I was a coffee bean. I'm especially connected to your story because of my book, Journey Fitness, which talks about a decade of incarceration that I had to overcome to get to where I'm at today. And, you know, while I was there, I tried to just bring positivity. If it was Christmas time, I remember doing things like I'd put a, a sheet over a plastic tub, I'd huddle some guys around, I'd say, we got some top ramen, we got some squeezed cheese, we got some things that we're going to cut up, yeah. and make a little better. we're not with who we want to be with, but let's be here and let's make it like the best experience that we can make it. And I would just always try to treat prison as if it was my, my college, as if it was my gym where I can help people to still become healthy and fit like I do today. Uh, they would give me prison currency, which was tunas and stamps is what they would pay me with. Um, you know, a little protein or a little stamp to write home. Here you go, kid. Thanks for helping me out. Let me ask you this, kind of framing it up like that. Because of what Mr. Jackson told you, what opportunities did you see when you were in prison versus the obstacle? You either see an obstacle or you see an opportunity how you see things, choosing to be a coffee bean, really determines on how you act, right? So, like, as you were looking in your prison environment, I'm sure you behaved differently than most. You weren't in gangs, you weren't probably gambling or just playing dominoes or cards. 
What did you do? How was it different? So the, the answer to your question comes in three words. Position determines perspective, right? So where you've been and where you are determines how you, the world you see. So every day I would get up, my first cellmate, my first cellie got in Carlos. He told me, man, you, what, if you want to, and I'm telling him about what I want to do with my time in prison. Hell, I don't even know when they're going to let me out, if they're ever going to let me out. I'm in a life sentence. And so does Carlos. Carlos is a bank robber from San Antonio. And so Carlos is telling me, Carlos is a real positive guy. He's real tapped into the world spiritually. And Carlos tells me, you have to change the way you believe if you want to change the way you act. He said, so what you have to do is convince yourself that this experience, this prison sentence, is the best opportunity in life you've ever had. Because it's an opportunity to work on yourself 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You'll never get this kind of opportunity again. And so I would get up every day, and my feet would hit the cold concrete floor of that cell. And I'd say, you know, I'd even say it out loud to God. Hey, God, thank you for this opportunity, man. This opportunity today to go out there and become the best human being that I can be. And then I'd, I'd talk to God. I'd, I'd, I'd do prayer and meditation to start my morning now. And I'd say the same two-part prayer back then that I still say to this day. It's the only thing I pray for, Travis. And I say, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you, and let me recognize it when I see it. That way I'm looking at the world through the eyes of a servant leader, man. I'm looking out for ways to serve, right? And if I'm going out looking for ways to serve, then I can't be on the other side of the board, you know, where it's selfish, self-seeking, self-want, self-desire, self-delusion. That's where I was in my addiction. And I don't want to be back there again. I got into program recovery, you know, and I read a lot when I was in prison, Travis. And so I, um, I read a book every other day and I, and I came across these four spiritual principles. You, you find them in, in every religion. I and mean, there's five major religions in the world. There's Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And at the core of all five of those religions are the same four spiritual principles. And you find them in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, just like you find it in the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Torah, the Bible, it's in all the books. Those four spiritual principles are unselfish, honest, pure, and loving. Unselfish, honest, pure, and loving. What these became is a matrix for me to plug my decisions into. Because when I come up to a decision in life, back then or even now, is that I've got to ask myself, Damon, is what you're about to do? Is this unselfish? Is it honest? Is it pure? Is it loving? If it's not, I know it doesn't come from a good place and I need to rethink what I do. Now, am I, do I perfectly adhere to this? No, absolutely not. Hell no. I'm a human being. I make mistakes. I stumble. I fall, but I get back up every day. One of the things Mr. Jackson told me in Dallas County Jail, valuable lesson in life, and it's, it's, it's very apt right now. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that's one of the best lessons in life because we're not made to win all of our battles in life. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to get beat. Travis, between Dallas County Jail and the, and the Texas penitentiary system, I probably got three dozen fights and I physically lost. Physically lost 75% of those fights, man. That's a lot of butt kicking in there, man. That's, <clears throat> that's, getting up every, that's getting up on days knowing you're going to get your butt beat and handed to you, but you get up and go do it. And you get up and go do it because eventually you're going to win. Because you realize in the end that as long as you keep getting up, that you're winning anyway because you showed up. And that's what it means. It means show up every day. So in, in prison, you've been there. You know, It's not easy to get up and say, hey, this is a great opportunity. It's the most suffocating, oppressive environment I've ever seen in my life. And the, the most dangerous place I've ever been in in my life, too. Yeah. But, if you navigate, but navigating life through the eyes of humility and service 
you can find what you're looking for there too, no matter where you are. I found it inside of a maximum security prison. I found ways to be useful every day inside that prison. And that's what life is all about, finding ways to be useful. Well, Damon, I think that you're so right. And Cindy, I think you'll agree that, that the world right now needs the coffee bean story because the whole world is on lockdown. And if it's not a quarantine that's locking you down, it could be your own fears, your own self-doubt, your own limiting beliefs. Uh, there's so many things that just kind of get people locked up and keep them from living the life that they were meant to live. You know, I, I think that they definitely need this inspiration. So when it comes to certain resources, when it comes to certain strategies, you know, you've already given your four, your foundational four, your core beliefs that you developed. I feel like uh, your, your mom is somebody I would love to talk to. She was like the spark for it all. And then there was Mr. Jackson. And then you mentioned reading books. So I want to give our listeners a chance to have some of the resources in their life that you have. Uh, you've even mentioned the 12 steps. So whether it be a, a book that was very impactful for you while you were in prison, whether it be uh, certain resources and strategies that you still use today to stay who you are, um, what would you tell our listeners that maybe they need to be reading or thinking or using right now for their own strategies? So they don't yeah, have- so I would, I would offer, and, and you know this because you've done time, when you get into a prison environment, a real physical prison, concrete, barbed wire, that kind of thing, they tell you, if you get somebody that's shooting you straight, that the first rule about doing time on a lockdown or wherever you're doing time is you have to do your time. You can't let your time do you, right? And so what that means is that when you're doing time, whether it's in a prison or it's in your house right now because you're on quarantine, we're on lockdown, and, you know, whatever your prison is, you have to fill your days up with things that you want. Otherwise, your day will become filled with things that life puts in front of you that may not be the best things for you. You know, it's too much social media. It's too much watching the news, which I would suggest to turn that off after you get some facts, whatever you need to live by and be safe. But you have to put in front of you the very best things in life. I read a book in prison by a guy named Victor Frankel. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And so, and I read a ton of books in there. And so Frankel's book talks about the existential vacuum. The existential vacuum is this giant hole, this void in life where all your existence and meaning gets sucked into, right? And then that's what happens when we put things in front of us that are not the most important things. Here's the warning I would have before I dive into this. As I meet more people out here, Travis, in the free world that are locked up than I ever did when I was in prison. More people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things than by steel bars, barbed wire, and concrete. I mean, Cindy, whenever Travis came home from prison, I mean, was he, did he still seem like he was kind of locked up when he first got out? Yeah, <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. And how long did that take for him to, to come out of that? Oh my goodness. I mean, it, I would say it was, it was a, a year anyway, uh, easily. Um, you know, even, even little things, things like going to the grocery store was super overwhelming to him. Like there was too many choices, too many decisions. Um, You know, even if we had like a family gathering where a bunch of people would come over. So when he first got home, you know, like grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, cousins, it was super overwhelming for him. Like he wanted to kind of just go be isolated and stuff. It was, um, it was, it was very, no one prepares you for that. Like being me, the one that waited, you yeah. know, 10 years. Um, 
I just thought he would be who he was before, just obviously sober. Um, <laughs> you know, true. but, but um, he, he was different. He, he was very different. And so it was an adjustment for, for us. And, and we had not lived together in 10 years. So that's yeah. a long to, to not live together too, even though I saw him every weekend and, and we wrote and talked on the phone, but uh, it was an adjustment for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Now, how is he, with all this stuff going on, being locked down? I mean, is, is, he, is he relatively well-adjusted to being able to do this kind of time? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think life has created guys like you and me to lead in times like this. Mm -hmm. That's what I believe, sure. you know, because I have a great perspective right now. Gyms are shut down, but, like, I had to look at our situation because they say, you know, 20% of gyms won't reopen. Like, that was something I read the other day. But I, I know that won't be us in that statistic. And when I look at what we're facing and some people are so overwhelmed by it, I say to myself, yeah, but, you know, I'm not going back to prison, right? You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm like it's right. not that bad. Like, we can fight our way out of this, you know? So, um, right. And, and you, know yeah, that you're, you know that your body is your gym, you know, because you've been in a place – I've been in a place where I've been on a real lockdown before, a real lockdown where you're locked up for 44 days in a box. And in this box, you know, there's 10 by 12, you've got another human being there, you've got a bunk bed, you've got a desk and a toilet. And, but what you have is an entire gym right there in the middle of that box, you know. I would run in place for an hour. I'd put my headphones on and run in place for an hour. You know, in the middle of the day on a lockdown, there's no movement outside going on. I'm not going anywhere. But I'm getting my workout in, man. I'm I'm doing what I, I'm doing. I'm killing it on push-ups and, and, and crunches, and and I've got my cellmate on my back doing squats, you know. So I mean, what I'm saying is that, you know, when I got out of prison and I got out here in the free world, and what I'm seeing right now is that people become imprisoned by their thoughts and by their things, and they become suffocated by this stuff, and it's because they've put the wrong stuff in front of their life. You know, I'm in recovery. So my sponsor tells me that anything I put in front of my recovery, I will lose. And I know that I have to be tapped in to a program of recovery. And because my program of recovery gives me tools with which to live my life by and stay sober, right? It's like taking your medicine. If you had cancer or lupus or AIDS or HIV, whatever, and someone said, hey, take this pill every day. And if you do, you'll never get sick again. And you'll live a long, happy life. You'll never get rid of your disease, but you won't suffer from it. You would take the pill, right? And for me, that's the same way a program recovery is. I take that pill. Every day, I tap in and I surrender to my higher power. And I say, hey, you know what? I'm done for this day. You tell me what I need to do, and I'll go do it. And those days that I live humbly by that, I found that I can put three things in life out there in front of my life that I don't have to fall into the existential vacuum that Frankl talked about. Because if I put these three things of value in my life, I know for sure that no world depression, no pandemic, not even a prison sentence can take these three things away. And the three things that motivate me, that push me in life, that I get up and think about every day, and that I, I go and I put in front of the, what I do and all my actions are my faith and then my relationships that I've built along the way because those relationships are the most important thing you have in life and my ability to serve other people. Those three things can never be taken away from me. And I've tested that inside of maximum security prison and you've tested inside of your prison too. And everybody out there in the world right now can test it inside this prison we're in right now. If you will find the right things, because it can't be your house. Your house can't be the thing you put in front of everything, the bigger house, a nice car, the job. I get it, man. And, and it's, it's what we're going through is painful. And some of us, we're going to have to downsize. You know, some, some people are going to have to downsize. You're going to, 
You may have to sell your house, move into an apartment. You may have to sell your car, get a different car. You may have to sell one of your cars and consolidate to one car. People are going to have to adjust to the new world as it's going on right now and dig yourself out back from it. But don't collapse. Don't fall apart. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel because the things have changed, you know, change with it, adapt. Growth takes place outside your comfort zone. Read a lot of books in prison about, about growth too. Well, one of the best books I read, you asked me about some of the stuff I read and fed myself. Mm -hmm. One of the, excuse me, one of the best books I read was a book from the 19th century called The Count of Monte Cristo. And it's a fictional book, but I mean, it's, it's a great book because the book is about, what's about revenge, you know? Because this guy goes into this prison for 15 or 17 years, right? And he escaped, he gets out. And he goes and he gets the people, man, he, not only does he get the people back that did it to him, he gets their family, he destroys everything they've ever touched, right? And he realizes that that didn't bring him joy, that didn't bring him the peace, the, the finality that he thought it was going to bring. So it's, a, it's, a, it's the ultimate book of revenge <clears throat> and redemption mm -hmm. and humility and, and happiness. It all comes together at the end, but it's one of the best books I've ever read. I mean, I've read it several times, especially when you're sitting inside of your own dungeon. And your own dungeon doesn't have to be, you know, a, a building with guard towers and barbed wire. Your own dungeon can be your house. A lot of people are finding out that they're in prison right now, and you don't have to do that. That's a self-inflicted wound. You know, Damon, you are speaking my language. Man. So Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, one of the best books I ever read. And in that book, Victor Frankl says, the last of human freedoms is to choose one's own attitude in any given circumstance. And I think that people uh, could hear from you today to see the blessing in having so many distractions of life stripped away, because that is the blessing that you and I both had, which is suddenly I had to figure out, okay, well, well who do I want to be? You know, because I certainly wasn't proud of who I was that got me there. And so I said, well, if I'm going to be the best father that I can be from prison, what does that look like? And so I would color half the drawing and send it through the mail. I would draw the pumpkin for... Uh, you know, Halloween and they would carve it. Uh, you know, I would draw the map for Easter and then they would, you know, find the little Easter eggs around the house and just do different things. And, and I would write to my wife every day and, and I would educate myself and things like that. And I think that this is a time for anybody that's feeling locked up in their life to go deeper and to say, who do I want to be? You know, what is it going to mean to me, uh, Todd Durkin, who you and I both know and love, uh, you know, he talks about these 10 forms of wealth and just to look at these areas of their life and say, you know, how is my family? How is my love? How is my career? How's my legacy? How's these different things in my life to say, you know, if I was going to start living today, you know, kind of rewrite my story. You know, they talk about going forward and then just reverse engineering things. So then that way you get to where you want to be at the end of your life. Right. The opportunity that I think that people have in front of them. And so you were spending your time, by the way, I love the, the Count of Monte Cristo. It was one of my, I actually look back on that time in my life in prison when I was also reading that book. It's a fond memory. I couldn't wait to get back to my bunk and see what the Count was doing today, you know, because right. it was just, uh, it was good and it was engaging. But what do you think when it came to you choosing the way that you chose to do your time, what are some of the things, some of the opportunities, some of the ways that you helped people and Ralph Waldo Emerson says, you can't help someone else without helping yourself, right? So, you know, you're helping people and you're helping yourself. Uh, what are some of those ways that you use your time? Because I think that people need to turn their attention outward, uh, maybe inward in some personal value levels, like what you did, 
but also outward. Instead of saying, you know, did I get that last roll of toilet paper while I was on quarantine or whatever, you know, people are stocking up on, how can I help? How can I be a coffee bean to the world? You know, so what were some of the ways that you really helped people get through their time and uh, just that you were a lighthouse while you were in there in these dark times? Yeah, and you know, I heard someone say one time that lighthouses don't go looking for boats, you know? So boats look for lighthouses, so, but you need to be that lighthouse for other people to find. And so I made myself available to those that wanted to grow emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally. Um, I got down to the schoolhouse in prison and I taught guys, I would tutor guys, teach guys how to read, how to write, how to do math. And I get guys ready for the GED test. I found a couple of indigent inmates that I would go in and help out and I'd buy them stuff. And I'd do it really quietly because you don't want that to become a very public thing that you're, that you're helping somebody out. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, you know, there's a neg negative kind of connotation that goes with that. Like there's a, cause in prison, it's, it's a, it's a quid pro quo, you know, there's always something for something. And when you're out there just trying to do nice for somebody, well, people can get the wrong idea about that. So I would try to find people to help out people that are indigent buy the, you know, buy their necessities for deodorant, stuff like that, a little food, keep it in the locker. Um, mostly elderly inmates, people that have been forgotten about. I would, uh, I would teach guys, teach guys would, you know, a guy like me that goes into a state prison system with the background I had, uh, you're kind of a unicorn in there. You're kind of an anomaly because you don't have a lot of guys that have worked in Congress, worked on wall street, worked for a guy running for president, played college football, you know, graduated, from, even graduated from college. I and mean, that was a, it's a rare bird inside of a state prison. So I would, I would try to use whatever resources I had to help other people out. And because that's called servant leadership and servant leadership is helping other people achieve their goals in life, helping to raise other people up to a different station of life. Because when we're helping other people, that's when we're at our best. And that's what we're made to do. That's what we're called. We are called to find ways to help other people. Right now, you know, these Zoom calls that I get on every day, I, I you know, I don't even give people the, the, the chance to say, well, I don't know how to go out there and be a servant leader. Well, let me give you some ways, you know. You've got this tremendous social media platform. Use it for good, man. Use it. Put, put videos out there of you doing positive things. You smiling. Smile, man. That's the first rule about being a coffee man. Smile, man. Positive body language, right? Put positive stuff out there on social media. And don't worry. If you you know your video gets 11 views or 15 views, you're looking for that one view, and you go go no further than than a lesson from Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers, before he was Mr. Rogers, was a Presbyterian minister, and this is in the 60s, maybe 1963. He's at a sermon one Sunday while he's in seminary, and they have a substitute preacher come in, and he sits there through this substitute preacher's sermon, and after the sermon was over, he thought to himself. That's the absolute most horrible, worst sermon I've ever said to him in my life. He said it was terrible. He said it went against every rule of giving the sermon, right? He said it was awful. And just as he's about to turn to the lady next to him and tell her how terrible this guy's sermon is, he bit his tongue and stopped. Because the woman next to him turned to him in tears and told Mr. Rogers, that was the most beautiful sermon I've ever heard. It was the absolute right thing I need to hear at the absolute right time in my life. I will never forget where I was today that I heard this beautiful sermon. And that's when Mr. Rogers realized that anybody is capable of being a messenger of hope, of faith, of love, of serenity, of peace. And I gave him the idea that maybe he could do it one day too. But he also learned another big lesson that day. He learned that he was coming in judgment while she came in need. Mm -hmm. So many people are coming in need right now. 
it is up to us, it's incumbent upon us to find ways to fill that need with hope, right? Hope, hope, there's that word again, man. It, you know, you watch Shawshank when, and Dufresne says, hope can be a dangerous thing. Hope can be a dangerous thing if you put your hope and your faith in the wrong thing. It's like a thirsty man in the desert. You know, if he is desperate enough, when he sees a mirage, he will drink the sand and the sand will kill him. And that's the way people do when they, they follow the wrong thing, follow the wrong leaders. Look at, you see it going on in the world right now. People follow the wrong leaders and they follow them right off of a cliff because the sand kills you from the inside. You know, the sand represents things like hate, resentment. You know, the opposite of resentment is forgiveness. Unload that stuff every day. That's one of the best things you can do. Get rid of those resentments. Get rid of that stuff because all it's doing is bottling up inside you. Be a servant leader. You know, one of the ways you can be a servant leader every day during this, find one person a day. Find a couple people a day. Call them. Ask them how they're doing. Check in with them. And don't, don't tell them how you're doing unless they ask you. Make the call about them. Be an ear to listen. People want to feel like they've been heard. Every human being wants to feel like they've been heard. Someone listen to me. Be that person a day for somebody else, you know? And use your social media, man. Facebook, uh, FaceTime, you know, FaceTime, Zoom. Do this, man. Have Zoom meetings with your people in your neighborhood, man, your family members. Do this stuff every day and let them know. Let them see your smiling face and know it's going to be okay because it will be okay. Because you know why it's going to be okay? It has to be. There's no choice. You don't have – there's no other position. You can't take the other position. That's so good. That's so good. You know, John Lennon has this quote. It says, in the end, it'll be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. So I just keep telling myself that one. But uh, <laughs> yeah, to what you just shared, I, I think it's so important for people to hear. Here you were, you know, your life in prison, 65 years. Um, and yet you found these opportunities to do good for others. You found these opportunities for servant leadership. So thank you for taking time to inspire our listeners as to how they can still find opportunities as they're locked up in their own life and sometimes locked up in their own beliefs or their own limiting beliefs or their own fears and frustrations. So thank you for that. Can you take us now to how someone like yourself that, you know, did everything that you did to get sentenced to life in prison and then you come out and here you are, you're now a professor uh, teaching in colleges about uh, being in prison. You have co-authored a book called The Coffee Bean with John Gordon, uh, best-selling author, author of so many books, I can't even list them all right now, but uh, just a fantastic, fantastic author. I, I love his stuff. I love how positive he is. You two are definitely uh, two peas in a pod when it comes to your positivity and the way that you think and inspire people. So yeah, how did we get from there to where we are today? You know, yeah. So uh, the, the easy answer is a program of recovery because a program of recovery for a guy like me that's an addict gives me tools with which to live my life by. Because addicts, we have a different way of thinking. We have a three-part thought process. It's pretty simple, actually. We have a thought, and then we obsess over that thought, and then we put in. It becomes physical. So we have a thought to drink or do drugs. And, and if we don't get that thought out of our head, it just spins around. In there. It may take a day, a week, a month. It may take a year. You know, that thought about that drink or that drug. But eventually, if we don't, if we don't get it out of our heads, it's going to go in to become something physical. We're going to put in. And so a program recovery, one of the tools I have is to, is to call someone else in the program. But the, the main thing a program recovery does is it allows me to get the junk out of my life, the garbage, the stuff that has held me back. And I think, honestly, Travis and Cindy, I think that a program recovery is I mean, a 12-step. The 12 steps should be taught to everybody on this planet in first grade. 
Because the 12 steps, what they do is you go in and you get all the baggage out of your life. You know, you surrender in the first three steps. The next, you know, the fourth and fifth step, you're, you're doing it fearless and searching moral inventory. You're finding the things that hold you back. What are my fears? What are my resentments? You know, what are my hangups in life that are holding me back? You know, you get that stuff out. You put it on paper. You find out, you know, what, you find out what instinct it affects. All the human behavior is, is, is around three separate instincts. That's it. There's only three instincts that run all of human behavior. Your instinct for sex, your instinct for security, and your instincts for social, right? Your sex, your relationships in life. And, and when used properly, these instincts are a great thing, but it's when we abuse them, right? It's your instinct for sex, your relationships your, that you have in life, your security, your social, you know, your, your ability to fit into society. Man, everybody wants that. You know, we're human beings. We have an inherent need to want to belong and be loved. And your instinct for, for social, I mean, social and security and sex. So your security instinct, your security instinct is, is the ability to get a job and have a family and take care of things. You know, we all have these things. Anything that we feel like we feel like threatens one of those things, we respond to it very viciously or, or we let it cave in and beat us. And so a program recovery allows me to find out what my fears and resentments are that affect these different instincts, right? I'll give you an example. I'll walk you through this, make it simple. Coming out of prison, coming out of prison, I was terrified, man, terrified because I have all this anxiety, man, all this fear built up. What instinct does it affect? Does it affect my social instinct? You bet. You bet. Is society going to let me back in and be a normal person again? A, a full-fledged member of society. I've made a lot of mistakes. So yeah, it affects that. Does it affect my, my security instinct, the ability to have a job, you know, and make and earn a living? You bet. It affects that one too. So now we got two of the three. Sex. Does it affect sex? You bet it affects that. Is someone ever going to love me and take me back in after what I've done wrong? You know, is someone ever going to be able to accept me? So this fear actually hits on all three, which not a, it doesn't always happen all three. Then the next step in this program recovery, let's say it was like a, a personal inventory where you have columns, right? You have the fear, then you have the instinct it affects, all three. And the next column is what role did I play? You know, what role do I play in all this? Well, I went out and committed a bunch of crimes and got, uh, got in front of a jury and a jury sends me to life in prison. So I have a role to play in all my problems. And that's the point. And that's why I think it'd be so valuable for everybody to work a 12-step program at some point in their life, because you'll find out that whenever you are disturbed, there's something wrong with you. You know, you play a role in all your problems. And that's one of the things that keeps me free and keeps me sober is because I can find out when I'm angry about something, when something gets under my skin, I step back and I look at it and I even diagram it out on paper and I find out what role do I play in this? Because I play a role in there somewhere, man. Because if it's going to disturb me, it has to do with me, you know? Yeah. It's, it's almost like John Lynn said about, you know, about it being okay in the end. In the end, you're going to find out that you have peace and happiness once you work through all this baggage in your life. And the eighth step, man, the eighth step is when you make a list of all these people you would have harmed and you became willing to make amends. And the ninth step is when you go out and make your amends. And here's the thing about making amends to people is there's no guarantee that people are going to accept your apology. That's not part of the program. The program is that you make the apologies and you keep your side of the street clean. And I spend all my life keeping my side of the street clean. And one of the biggest ways to do that is getting rid of those things, making apologies when I have to make them and finding ways to serve other people. Man, I cannot stress this enough, man. Bury yourself in service work, serve other people. So good, so good. You know, I, I like the quote that says, that there's two great days in your life, the day that you were born and the day that you find out why. But I've since added to that quote that I also think that the 
other great day in your life, if there were three components, the other great day in your life would be the day, the day that you decide that you have a role in things, the day that you decide if it's to be, it's up to me, you know, like that kind of thing, you know? So I really appreciate where you're coming from with that. So you get out, how is it that you came to be in contact with John Gordon and writing a book? You know, you, you come up, like, how does that happen? It's crazy, man. Dabo Swinney. Dabo, you know, Dabo Swinney and I met at an award show in Houston, a, a, coaches, a coaches award in Houston, kind of uh, finagled my way into the event in the first place and met Dabo there that night. Dabo brought me to speak to the team. He was so blown away by the coffee bean story. He tells John Gordon when he sees John Gordon again, hey, man, you got to get in touch with Damon West. You know, and John calls me up. He's like, hey, man, look, I'm, Dabo told me to call you. You know, the coffee bean story, I looked you up. He said, let's write a book, man. The world needs this message. And it's crazy because the, the book came out last July, just in time for the world to get this message uh, of the coffee bean. And, it, and it's, it's, it is literally going out all over the world, man. And, and John Gordon, he's changed my life. He's changed, I mean, he's put me in a different atmosphere of speakers. And uh, other than that, though, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a class act and a friend and a great mentor. You know, he's a wonderful human being. Uh -huh. And the same can be said about you. So no, no wonder why you're connected. Yeah. So Cindy, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Adam. Yeah. No, I just wanted to ask you one question. So I know that we talked a little bit about, you know, the fact that uh, Travis was in for 10 years and uh, obviously you were married before he went in. So I was, I waited. I know that you didn't <laughs> meet your wife until well after you were um, out of, you know, prison. So for him, very different because he had, you know, a home and a family to, to come back to. Uh, what was it like and how did you navigate the day the doors opened for you? Like, did you go to your parents' house? Like, I know it's super hard for people because they are, are starting at less than zero with, uh, you know, all these strikes against them to try to even go out into this world again. And it's like, where am I going to work? What am I, you know, how am I going to start? I have no money. I have nothing. So where, where did you, how did you start? Where did you go? How did, how did yeah. you get to where? Yeah. So right when I got out, I mean, I paroled out and I lived with my, my parents, I lived with my mom and my dad in the spare bedroom they have there. And, you know, I lived with my parents for almost three years in, in Kendall. You, you want to know about, you know, my wife, Kendall and I met, um, uh, I met through friends. I mean, she's a nurse practitioner and I have a friend that's a nurse practitioner that was helping me out with the legal case that I, I work at a law firm. She was helping me out looking at files and stuff. And um, Kendall and I met, I tell people all the time that, you know, we met before any of this stuff was going on in my life. You know, I wasn't this, this nationally known motivational speaker. I didn't have all these books. I didn't have these opportunities. Kendall met me when I was making about $31,000 a year at a law firm, living in my parents' spare bedroom, you know? So I know this woman is in love with me because, man, when she met Damon West, you know, Damon West was, I mean, I'm 41, 40, I'm 42 years old living in my parents' house in the spare bedroom. Um, but look, I was one of the lucky ones coming out of prison. Like you said, Cindy, I mean, you, you, know, you waited for Travis when he got out and you, you know, he had a home and everything. I had a home to come home to. I had a place to go. You know, a lot of people come out. They don't have that. They don't have, they get in Texas, they give you $50 when you get out. And when you see your PO, they give you another $50. That's called your gate money. Now imagine if you've been gone for 10, 20, 30 years and someone gives you a hundred bucks and says, good luck with life. No other resources. 
what do you do? You know, what do you do? So I'm eternally grateful for my parents for giving me a place to live. Was it difficult? You bet it was difficult at times to live with my mom and my dad. But, um, but I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, to have them in my life, to have Kendall in my life, to have a family. Um, but still, though, you, you know, you get out and you realize that, you know, you never stop being punished. That's one of the things about doing time. Every ex-con knows this. You never stop being punished. There's going to be something somewhere along the line that because you're an ex-con, because you're a formerly incarcerated person, that something's going to be held back from you. You can't do something. Voting is another good example, you know. Yeah, I can get my right to vote again once I've been out, uh, once I get two years past the expiration of my sentence. Well, that's 2075, you know. I'm not going to – I'm not worried about voting when I'm 100. So – but – you never stop being punished, but it's okay. I don't worry about that kind of stuff. I don't worry about being on parole till 2073 because I, and I live my life each day knowing that I'm in control of four things, what I think, what I say, what I feel, and what I do. And if I don't ever abdicate control of those things, then I'm never going back. Mm. So good. So good. I have a final question for you. It really goes along with that. Um, you know, people, people will probably ask you, because I think that everything uh, that you've gone through, uh, every mistake and, you know, every positive. So my question to you is, if you could take away, you know, what Damon West did to land in a Texas prison for 65 years, would you wipe away that part of your uh, past? Because, um, I guess that would probably wipe away who you are today as well, you know? So, I mean, it is a, it is a challenging question, right? You know, uh, nobody wants to spend seven years in prison or 10 years in prison or, you know, get sentenced to 65 years. So how does that work? You know? Yeah. I mean, to answer this question though, you've got to get it on a deeper level because you've got, I've got victims, right? So whatever answer I give is either going to impact them and the way they were impacted or absolve them from ever having uh, the unfortunate experience to cross, for me to cross their path. Right. But in the end, I, I fall back on the, the idea that you don't get in the way of the universe. You know, you don't get on God's line. God's line is this big, long line. and Your line is this little inch of a line. Mm-hmm. And that little inch represents humility. And humility, my sponsor tells me, is being right sized. Right. Knowing your place in the world. And in my little place in the world, I know that, you know, things have happened for a reason. And. And God, you know, what I call God, because I don't ever want to get into, you know, whatever everybody believes. You can believe whatever you want or not believe at all, you know. But God I believe in uh, has said basically to me, hey, look, you know what? I put you through all this, and then I'm going to use you. You're going to be out there, and you're going to be a messenger of this message. You're going to be a conduit of this message. But all you are is a conduit, dude. You know, this isn't the Damon show. This is God's show. And if you ever forget that it's God's show again, then well, you're going back to prison, right? So I know that I'm just a conduit of something bigger and I go on this path every day. So no, I wouldn't take back the things that have happened because on this path that I know that if I do what God puts in front of me every single day, then my needs will all be met. You know, we talked about those instincts, those needs. You know, I met a woman that fell in love with me and I'm married to her now and she, her daughter uh, you know, I'm a stepdad, you know, I have a family. And, and so to go back on the things I did, I would never have this family. I, I don't, you know, and I would, that's just on a personal selfish level, but look, let's look at the bigger 
scale thing. I hear from people all the time about how this message has impacted them, you know, how it affects their life in a positive way today. You know, there was a time when I infected the world with my negativity, but now I can affect it positively with my positivity, you know? So you either infect or affect people. Today, I'm affecting people. Today, I'm part of the solution instead of part of the problem. But I could not be part of the solution without being part of the problem at one point. So no, I wouldn't take it back. And you know what, if I was one of the people that, uh, you know, had been one of the victims of the different things you had done, I think that I would feel very honored by the life that you've chosen to live today. And know that what had to happen first in order for you to become who you've become. So, you know, I think that you're honoring that past and uh, definitely living a redemptive life. So, you know, thank you for what you're doing to inspire people. Uh, any final words, advice for audience, how they can get more Damon West inspiration, you know, because today yeah. was very inspiring. Yeah, yeah man. I, Travis, Cindy, first of all, thank, thank you again for having me on your show and the ability to go out and be useful and impact others in a positive way because that's what my life is about, servant leadership, serving others and being humble. So, yeah, to get in touch with me, um, my website, damonwest.org, Social media at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Damon West Seven. My book, The Change Agent, and the, my other book, The Coffee Bean, can be found on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Wherever books are sold online, you can find them anywhere you want, right there. Um, but yeah, get in touch with me if you want me to speak at your group or organization, whatever. Damon at DamonWest.org. And you know, a final thought would be this. You know, it's a call to action for everybody out there. You go out there and you go share Mr. Jackson's call to story. But, you know, your pot of born water isn't prison. Your pot of born water is life. Life is a pot of born water right now. And tell the people about the coffee bean story. Tell them about the carrot first. The carrot is the one that goes in there and becomes soft and sad and weak and lets life beat it down. We don't want to be the carrot. Hell, I've been the carrot before, though, you know. I know what it feels like. Tell them about the egg that turns hard, mad, and mean. No one wants to be around the egg. And the eggs are miserable people. Been the egg. I've been the carrot and the egg at the same time, y'all. I mean, it's it's something you can, you can go between all these things at one time. But that coffee bean is dynamic, Travis and Cindy, because that coffee bean jumps into that pot of boiling water and says, you know what? Turn it up. I got this. This is what I was built for this moment. You know, I was built to withstand this pot of boiling water and change this pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. And the longer the coffee bean sits in the pot of boiling water, the stronger the pot of coffee is going to be. So my call to action to everybody out there is you go out there and you go be that coffee bean today. Thanks a lot, y'all. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. Go Thank be the you. bean, everybody. That's it. Be the bean. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Overcomers Podcast sponsored by Journey 333. When I am not hosting the Overcomers Podcast, I am working at one of our fitness franchises so that I can continue to help people overcome adversity on a daily basis. That's right. People come to the Journey 333 fitness franchises because they want a coach in their life. They want somebody to help them overcome the adversities of life, motivate them to higher levels of greatness, bring out their potential, help them lose weight, get off medications, fight depression, fight anxiety. That's what we do on a regular basis. If you feel like you want your life to be about helping more people to overcome their adversities, if you feel like you're an overcomer and you want to create more overcomers, then maybe owning a Journey 333 franchise would be for you. To find out more, go to www.journeyfitness333.com.